Last Saturday, I made my triumphant return to running and running a little bit of distance. I've actually been running fairly regularly for the past few years, but I logged into my account at ultrasignup.com to find out that my last ultra marathon was the Kayamuka 100K in late 2017. And my last 100 mile race was the Lake Tahoe 100 miler in 2016, which is part of why I have stopped calling myself an ultra runner during the intro of my podcast, because it was early 2018 when I tore my meniscus playing basketball. And it wasn't until the end of 2018, after putting on a few, okay, more than a few pounds, that I got an MRI and I was told that my meniscus resembled somewhat of shredded chicken and that rather than have surgery, the surgeon said, how about you lose some of that weight that you had put on over the past year? First, I said, how dare you? As I sat there with all of my weight on the table, and I felt like that was truly my Uncle Rico moment. If you've seen Napoleon Dynamite, when I looked at that doctor and I said, I used to run 100-mile races, 24-hour events where I covered up to 125 miles. Similar to Uncle Rico telling Napoleon and Kip that he could throw a football over those mountains over there. The doctor really didn't seem very impressed. So fast forward almost three years later, and it turns out that losing weight did, in fact, help with the pain, and it's fairly manageable now, and my wife and I completed the half marathon. So the comeback is on. Now, with that said... I was talking with Melissa and Brittany of my social media team, the Yeah Yeah Agency, a few days prior to this half marathon, and they were talking me through the finer art of sharing some content through Instagram stories. And I asked what type of content from a race, and they shared anything. In essence, it was the proverbial, you do you, boo. And I said, well, what about poop talk? To which Melissa very eloquently shared to Brittany that both young mothers and runners alike seem to enjoy sharing their poop stories. And I realized at that moment how wise Melissa was. She was correct. She suggested that I do preface the story with, hey, for you runners out there, I have a story. So for you runners, I do indeed have a story and it's about poop. But for you non-runners, I also have some data that we'll talk about that actually links gratitude to good health, reduced stress, and a better digestive system. So yes, gratitude does in fact help you poop. So for you runners, here's the story that I was reminded of from running the Davis Turkey Trot Okay, I'll pass on the obvious pun there, but turkey trot this past Saturday. So it was November of 2016 with my then senior in high school daughter, and at that time, two-time Virtual Couch podcast guest, McKinley Overbay. Now, she has been on a couple of other times since, and it was my amazing wife, Wendy, was joining us. It was raining, and we were shooting for a sub-two-hour half marathon. It had been cold, and we were waiting in the car to stay dry, and I had some sweet new compression shorts a pair of Brooks shorts. I believe I was still sponsored by Brooks at that time. And we were off. So approaching the three mile mark, and let me be honest, I had passed a little bit of gas. And let's just say that I was a tiny bit worried about that passage of gas if perhaps there was more than gas that had passed. So we get to the three mile mark and I see a porta potty. And I tell Mackie that I need to make a quick pit stop. So I get into the porta potty and I realize that my worry was not unfounded. I had in fact ruined a brand new pair of compression shorts. And everything was wet. So the task of getting the compression shorts off over wet shoes, well, I could go into more detail there, but that is where I feel like runner and non-runner alike, I think you get the point. So then I exited this porta potty and it was on. My goal was now to catch McKinley, who at this point had to have been almost a mile ahead of me. So I sprinted and sprinted and sprinted. And so if you look on Strava, which is the social media app for exercise, there's a loop called the Sycamore until Covell loop. 
It's a half a mile loop. And at that time, I still sat in 19th place of all time of thousands of runners who have run that segment. But at that time in 2016, I had actually made it into the top 10. So we finished that half marathon. We did get under two hours during that time. And that was a poop story that will lead to today's talk about gratitude. So coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch, I will tie together these this poop story with how gratitude can truly ease the digestive system and do so many other good things for us. And right now, Thanksgiving, isn't that a time to focus a little bit on gratitude? And for those of you that will consume an insane amount of calories, then also, wouldn't that be a good idea if you had some of the best strategies to, you know, help you poop? So that and so much more coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch. Welcome to episode 348 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, uh, currently half marathon runner, and author of or creator of The Path Back, which is an online pornography recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from turning to unhealthy coping mechanisms like pornography. And a couple other things really quick. My audiobook, He's a Porn Addict, Now What? Former Addict and an Expert Answer All of Your Questions, which was a bestseller and the sexual health and recovery category on Amazon for a couple of years, it's actually now out on audiobook. And so if you go to Audible or Amazon, you can look that up and the, there's an audiobook version. And I think it was it's really well done. And so it's something that I didn't realize is really hard to talk about on social media posts, because if you talk about porn or pornography, you can often get flagged. As a matter of fact, my co-author, Joshua Shea, has a pretty big following over on TikTok, and he's called the Corn Coach. So I guess that's what all the kids say over there, the corn, corn addict, the pornography. And so I do highly recommend the audiobook. I think that it is a, a really good book and it might be easier to consume or digest on audio than have a book laying around on the coffee table or even in your Kindle library that says he's a porn addict. Although it really, we address betrayal trauma, we address the addiction, we address things from an expert standpoint. I go big on no shame, all those things. And Joshua gives his angle from being the former addict. And we're still taking volunteers for the Magnetic Marriage Podcast and go to, it's going to be anonymous coaching. You get to see what real couples coaching, couples counseling looks like. So you can just email me at info at tonyoverbay.com. And that podcast is getting ready to launch. So just go to tonyoverbay.com, sign up for my newsletter, and you will be the first to hear, to learn of when that is going to come out. And there are just a lot of exciting things. And very quickly, my birthday is actually on Thanksgiving this year, and I felt like produce this free content. I've been doing so for 350, if you had the Waking Up to Narcissism podcast, 400 episodes. And so I was thinking, I don't know if it would be too much to ask for a birthday present. If you like the content that you hear, it would be to find wherever you can rate and review this podcast. If you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any of those places that it would really mean a lot if you did go in there and rate and review because I do understand the way algorithms work and that will get the podcast out to more people. And I'm just really trying to help people with their mental health or waking up to the narcissism in themselves or the people around them over on that podcast. And if you happen to be a YouTube person, you can go find the virtual couch podcast or the virtual couch 
YouTube channel and, and hit that subscribe button as well. So that would be a happy birthday to me present. And I, I can't thank you enough. And I want you to know it is it's awkward for me to ask for that because uh, I just really enjoy putting this out there. But I, I would love that if you if you're up for that, that would be wonderful. And you can always just send me your questions, comments, concerns, those sort of things through the contact on my website, or you can just email me at contact at tonyoverbay.com. So let's get to today's episode, and we're going to talk about the science of gratitude from a couple of different articles. And I'm going to start with one from Kevin Cruz, and this is from Forbes.com. And I liked this one because he talks about the science of gratitude or how thankfulness impacts our brains and business. And this is, gratitude is a really funny one to me because there is actual data, a lot of data turns out, or especially over the last 20 years, that really backs up the fact that gratitude can change, in essence, the neuro pathways of your brain, this attitude of gratitude. And it can also sound really motivational speaker-like to say you just need to be grateful and happy and thankful and those sort of things. So today I do want to touch on the science of gratitude. We'll talk about why that's so important. And I also want to talk about how to implement the practice. And the reason I want to start with this article is because Kevin Krauss or Kevin Cruz, my apologies, does a really nice job of talking about the concepts that gratitude helps us overcome our hardwired negativity bias. And so that is just part of the human experience is that we are wired for negativity, that we have this tendency to focus on negative events rather than positive. And so if you find yourself as someone who often goes down this wormhole or rabbit hole of negativity, just know that you are actually normal. Kevin shares an example where he says, think about your most memorable air travel experiences, not best uh, necessarily, but the one that sticks out from the others. And he said, why do you remember that trip in particular? Was it a misconnection? Was it lost baggage? Was it nauseating turbulence? But the trips that saw us through to our destination without incident are the first to fade from our memories because that negativity bias is always at work. Earlier in human history, he shares that negativity bias had an important survival function, that perceiving a threat more strongly than a benign encounter could have been the difference between life and death. And the example that I often like to share is if we were looking out over a plane and we saw again this alpaca or we saw this impala or whatever the animal was, and we thought, okay, if I go, if I go to kill that animal, then my tribe will eat for a week. But then if out of the corner of our eye, we see a lion, then we think, okay, if I get killed by that lion, then we will not eat for a week and I will no longer exist. So I'm going to wait until the coast is more clear. As a matter of fact, I'll put that off until tomorrow. And I think that we see remnants of that still today. If I need to take this test or if I need to work on this project, or if I need to go talk about talk to somebody and I'm uncomfortable about doing so, then I'm going to wait until the scenario is perfect. So in essence, I'm going to put it off till tomorrow. So our brain really is wired with this negativity bias. So in that scenario, the most dangerous things that we do today, Kevin shares, is drive on the freeway. He says, eat cholesterol-laden food. But the negativity bias just makes us unhappy and anxious. And this is that part where our brain, as a don't-get-killed device, is still wired to go toward the negative because our brain isn't necessarily saying that we want to have these happy euphoric experiences. It's saying, I, I would like to live. And so I'm still wired to think we better watch out for everything, but it doesn't bring us a lot of joy. It doesn't help us even be present or enjoy the company of others or start to really do things that uh, are in alignment with our own goals or values. So he said, practicing gratitude also requires slowing down long enough to think and reflect, which seems harder and harder in our always-on culture, because many of us are so overscheduled and overstimulated, 
and focused on the future and the what ifs and what if this happens or what about that, that we struggle to see what is right in front of us, that we become so obsessed with improving our situation. He talks about chasing a promotion or trying to lose weight or getting out of debt, that all we can think about are the things that we lack. And if you look at it from that context, there's that negativity bias again. And he goes on to say that all that to say that if gratitude doesn't come naturally to you, it is normal. Welcome to being a human. But just because that gratitude muscle is weak doesn't mean that you should not exercise it. It takes time. And I love that he calls out, you must be intentional, but the benefits of regularly reflecting on what you're grateful for is absolutely worth the investment. The the science is there. By now, he, he goes on to share that it's no secret that practicing gratitude allows our brains to release serotonin and dopamine which are two feel-good chemicals that positively impact mood and willpower and motivation. But what's not as well known is that regularly engaging in a gratitude practice does start to strengthen these neural pathways. Because over time, practicing gratitude will train your brain to, in essence, focus on what's going well versus what isn't. Now, when you let your foot off of the mental gas, we'll still obviously go back toward that negativity bias because that's hardwired into us. But when you notice... When you notice that you are having those negative thoughts or associations, then it's the nothing is wrong with me. These are just thoughts and feelings and emotions. I'm a human being. As a matter of fact, I'm the only version of me that's ever been on the planet Earth. And then in this moment, this is how I'm thinking and feeling. And so when I notice that's the way I'm thinking and feeling, one of the quickest ways that you can get out of that negative neural space is to notice the things around you that you can be grateful for. I might be grateful for the fresh air. I might be grateful for the people around me. I might be grateful for the watch on my arm that tells time. I might be grateful for the shoes that are upon my feet. And we can really start to practice this gratitude. And what you're doing is you're training your brain over time that when I notice that I am feeling, thinking this in this negative way, that my brain's already queuing up the, but what can we focus on in the positive? So it's not necessarily saying I shouldn't feel a certain way because I just feel that way. But when I notice that I'm feeling that way, then I can turn towards something that I am grateful for. He said that one study of nurses found that gratitude consistently predicted less exhaustion, fewer sick days, and higher job satisfaction. So that one takes me over to a site called mindful.org. And this was a really good article called The Science of Gratitude. And it goes into more depth. It's by Misty Pratt. And it's just from a little over, not quite a year ago, February of 2022 where she says research shows gratitude isn't just a pleasant feeling, that being grateful can also support greater health, happiness, and wisdom in ourselves and in our communities. So she talks about how gratitude offers us this way of embracing all that makes our lives what they are. So more than just chasing this happy feeling for the parts of our lives that are currently going our way, gratitude encompasses the willingness to expand our attention so that we perceive more of the goodness that we are receiving. And she's the one that goes into this detail, and there's a link to over the past couple of decades, that there is a growing body of evidence in the field of social science that found that you can actually have these measurable benefits when you're looking at gratitude for just about every area in our lives, that it it tends to contribute substantially to individual well-being, as well as physical health, relationships, job satisfaction, so much so that the Greater Good Science Center at the University of California, Berkeley, which is a leader in research on the science of social and emotional well-being, describes gratitude as the social glue, that it's this key to building and nurturing strong relationships. So gratitude can be this underlying principle or concept that can weave a lot of these things that we're working on in our mental health that ties us in with our relationships with others. If we're being more grateful of just 
the, the opportunities that I have. I may not be as needing external validation if I can just be grateful for the things that I am experiencing and the places that I am and the people that I am around, then that helps ground me so that I can be more present in these conversations. She said that gratitude helps people realize that they wouldn't be where they are without the help of others. Now, I can make jokes there. That can be good or bad. But the acceptance piece is that it is because of others that I have had the experiences that I've had and that have made me into the person that I am. And that does go a little bit of into this concept that we, I've talked about before, my implicit memory or what it feels like to be me. And so that implicit memory is built from a lot of different experiences. And those experiences come with the interactions that we have with people. And so if we can get to this part of almost acceptance, then it, it really is just part of, of who we are, the interactions that we have with people. Let me quote that again, actually. This is from the book, The Buddha Brain. And The Buddha's Brain is the Practical Neuroscience of Happiness, Love, and Wisdom by Rick Hansen. And he says, much as your body is built from the food you eat, your mind is built from the experiences that you have. The flow of experience gradually sculpts your brain, thus shape, shaping your mind. So some of the results can be explicitly recalled, like this is what I did last summer. This is how I felt when I was in love. But most of the shaping of your mind remains forever unconscious. So I want to frame that if in your uh, conscious and unconscious mind that you are continually coming back to this present moment and being grateful for the things around you. This isn't saying I'm ignoring the things that are frustrating or the things that are difficult. But when he talks about this part of your unconscious mind, that is called implicit memory. And it does. It includes your expectations, your models of relationships, your emotional tendencies. And that's where I think that do you have an emotional tendency to, to look for what you are grateful for? And I am honestly, and I think the big difference here, I'm not talking about, okay, I guess I'm grateful for flowers. If that isn't something that you personally is what it feels like to be you is grateful for, then you will feel like I can't even gratitude correctly. And that is not the point. The point is that part of your, what it feels like to be you can be when I notice I am down, flat, feeling frustrated, lonely, tired, any of those things that in that moment, I can take a breath. I can come back to the current, the present moment. And I can just look for something that I personally am grateful for. I'm grateful for humor. I'm grateful for friendships. The things that I am grateful for can absolutely be different than the things that other people are grateful for as well. So again, what Rick Hansen says in The Buddhist Brain, this concept of implicit memory includes your expectations, models of relationships, emotional tendencies, and general outlook. Your implicit memory establishes the interior landscape of your mind or what it feels like to be you and that is based on the slow accumulating residue of lived experience. So if that slow accumulating residue of lived experience for you is starting to notice that I am building it more on this basis of gratitude or being present and then thinking about things I am grateful for, then that is going to start to be what it feels like to be you is somebody that is present and grateful. Now, to be fair, going back to this negativity bias that we talked about earlier, even in Buddha's brain, Rick Hansen says, here's the problem. Your brain preferentially scans for, registers, stores, recalls, and reacts to unpleasant experiences. And I love how he says this. He says uh, our brain is like Velcro for negative experiences and Teflon for positive experiences, meaning that the positive experiences just slide on off and those negative experiences stick like Velcro. So consequently, even when positive experiences outnumber the negative ones, the pile of these negative implicit memories partially grows faster. So then the background feeling of what it feels like to be you can start to become undeservedly glum and pessimistic. So that remedy, he says, is not to suppress negative experiences because when they happen, they happen. Check those out. 
Rather, it is to foster positive experiences. And in particular, he says, take them in so they become a permanent part of you. So what can you take in? If you cannot think of, in essence, a good way to spin a situation, then maybe come back to this present moment and just think of anything that you can be grateful for. Now, what is that going to look like in the next few days when you have family come over for Thanksgiving? It can be a challenge. For many, it can really be a challenge. And so there's just so much here where I feel like when we haven't seen family for a while, let me go off on a little bit of a tangent here that put a lot of the pieces we've been talking about over the last few episodes together, that what, let's say I have family and I have family that they continually criticize. One of the number one things that I've heard in the last couple of weeks are, hey, what do I do when I have my family coming over? It could be my mom, it could be my dad, it could be my cousin, my aunt, one of my siblings. But when they come over, then I know it is criticism time. Criticism time is on because what it feels like to be that person is that they feel this need to criticize. And this is where if you have a moment, go over to the Waking Up the Narcissism podcast and take a look at my last episode where I talked about why you don't confront a narcissist. And the reason why is because that person's, what it feels like to be them is someone that feels possibly a little bit, uh, or not a little bit, but their foundational principles are built upon insecurities. And when somebody is built upon insecurities, then they often need feel this need to criticize to make themselves feel better. But then over the years, what their confabulated memory can even say is that, hey, but I'm doing this to help you, even though it doesn't really help. I think that what we'll hear a lot of, or what I'll hear a lot of, therapists will hear a lot of the week after Thanksgiving, are stories where somebody has come in and they have now spent a weekend or these, this time with family, and the family is going to just push boundaries. They're going to talk about things that, that are not only uncomfortable, but that don't build any positive emotional connection with others. You know, oh boy, uh, you, you look uh, very healthy. You look like you've put on a few pounds, says the person that that's their opening remarks. And sometimes I feel like, well, often, I think it's just that is what it feels like to be that person. Again, is that they criticize. And they'll make comments to somebody about weight or appearance, or they'll even, you know, start to passive aggressively share stories about other people that have had things like, oh, I noticed that so-and-so looks like they've had some work done and it looks phenomenal. And then they look over at you as if to say, have you thought about getting any work done? So people that are overly caught up on things about appearance or status, job, finances, then get ready for that to come out over the next few days, over the holidays. And know that if your visceral or gut reaction is is uh, is really speaking truth to you, then there's a good chance that you are going to feel a flat affect, that you're going to shut down right when you see that car pull up into the driveway. And this is where I just want you to know that, hey, that is absolutely okay, normal, and you are a, a normal human being. So one of the best things, the best bits of advice that I feel like somebody can do in this scenario, well, there's two. One, and that's why I love these episodes where we get to talk about things like gratitude, is that I can notice that my heart rate is elevating, take, take a nice in through the nose, out through the mouth breath to try to lower my heart rate so I can calm down my fight or flight response. I can tap into that frontal lobe, that prefrontal cortex, and I don't even have to acknowledge or, or speak to the insensitive comments of the people that are around me. And then I can come back and talk about, man, but you know what? I am just grateful that we're all here together as a family. And then you may hear, oh, uh, yeah. I am too. I know that your sister couldn't make it out here because she's having a lot of trouble ever since she put on that extra weight. And then it's almost as if this person wants to bait us into this conversation. And so at that moment, again, 
it's our opportunity to practice uh, gratitude. I'm, I'm just grateful that, that I can communicate with them through technology. As I text them and say, holy cow, why did you leave us here with mom? It turns out you're the smart one. So this science of gratitude, this attitude of gratitude, this being able to recognize when I'm feeling my heart rate elevate or when I'm noticing that people are pushing my buttons, that, that man, look at this opportunity now to come back to that present moment and then turn to the science of gratitude. Because a brain built on gratitude, in, in this article, The Science of Gratitude, Misty Pratt says that the gratitude is more than just a momentary good feeling. Scientists who have studied have talked about, if you look at people who do gratitude interventions, such as gratitude letters or journals, have found that these benefits for an individual's mental health and well-being last far, far beyond that moment. That gratitude practices also help you feel more satisfied in life. They can boost your self-esteem, and that is according to some peer-reviewed research. In one study involving nearly 300 adults that were seeking counseling services at a university, one randomized group wrote a gratitude letter each week for three weeks, and the gratitude group reported significantly better mental health compared to the control group at follow-up 12 weeks after their last writing exercise. So gratitude, the science of it, it is the gift that continues to give. Another type of written gratitude practice is counting blessings or the three good things. And this is one that I have practiced and I have not done well recently, but this study, this practice found that people who wrote down three things that they had done well in their day and identified it the causes of those good things were significantly happier and less depressed even six months after the study ended. Because when you are looking for those things to be able to write down, then you are in essence having a little bit of a confirmation bias and you're spending more time looking for those things to be grateful for so you can write them down. Gratitude also it improves this mental well-being that in generally in general people who are more cognitively aware of and i love this concept their headwinds or the barriers that they face than their tailwinds that the benefits they receive so by by paying more attention to our tailwind again those benefits that we received studies have shown that we can accentuate feelings of happiness optimism and positive emotion so instead of worrying or ruminate worrying as much about the future because the future is yet to happen that when we can look at the things to be grateful for, for the experiences that we've had, then that does lead to more feelings of happiness, optimism, and positive emotion. Strengthening your positive recall bias makes it easier to see the good things around you, even when times are dark, says Nancy Davis Coe, author of the book, The Thank You, uh, The Thank You Project, Cultivating Happiness One Letter of Gratitude at a Time. Nancy had set a lofty goal of writing 50 thank you letters to people in her life and found that the practice improved her ability to weather some of life's bigger challenges. I have a client of mine that writes thank you notes for everyone, and she's even sent me ones as well, and and it just brightens my day. It really does, and she's talked about the responses that she's received, but she does it more for for what it feels like to be her. Why, why practice this gratitude? That it actually deepens your resilience. So enduring gratitude is not just about happiness and positivity. It doesn't require you to ignore or stifle negative emotion, which I think is so important to recognize in this book, The Gratitude Project, How the Science of Thankfulness Can Rewire Our Brains for Resilience, Optimism, and the Greater Good. Robert Emens writes that practicing gratitude magnifies positive feelings more than it reduces negative feelings. So gratitude helps you see the bigger picture and, and it will help you become more resilient in the face of adversity. So it isn't that it completely eliminates these negative feelings, but it helps magnify the positive feelings. So in essence, you're able to hold space of both positive and negative emotion, but then be able to, even in those moments, turn more toward that positive or that attitude of gratitude. But here we go. Back to the story that we started with. Research published in the last decade has shown that grateful people, those who have what's called considered trait gratitude, 
have fewer common health complaints such as headaches, digestion issues. Anyone? We're talking about poop. So those who are more grateful have fewer common health complaints such as headaches, digestion issues, respiratory infections, runny noses, dizziness, and sleep problems. So it appears that practicing gratitude could also help to alleviate those pesky health problems, including, I will say again, better digestion, aka the science of gratitude is that gratitude truly does help you poop. In one study, a group of college students who wrote about things they were grateful for once per week for 10 weeks reported fewer physical symptoms such as headaches, shortness of breath, sore muscles, and nausea compared to two other control groups. Now how? Physiological changes associated with gratitude are typically a reduction in blood pressure and an increase in what's called the vagal tone, which is taken as an index of increased parasympathetic influence on the peripheral nervous system, says Dr. Emelina Simon, the science director at the Greater Good Science Center. And here's what that all means. The parasympathetic nervous system, the part of the nervous system that allows the body to rest and digest, can help you conserve energy by slowing the heart rate. Stimulating digestion, I'm sorry, there we go again, it helps you poop, and contributing to overall relaxation. So this soothing of the nervous system may be one, of, one mechanism by which gratitude works to calm the body a study of heart failure patients who were randomly assigned to either an eight-week gratitude journaling group or, or a treatment as usual group found that patients in the gratitude group showed more parasympathetic heart rate variability, which is a sign of better heart health. So I could go on. Um, we also, it talks about how gratitude helps build stronger connections with people. Social connection is likely to well-being, says Lisa Walsh. And gratitude might not just be an emotion that makes people feel good, but it appears to have social implications by motivating individuals to improve themselves. She quotes an upcoming study from the, the Paul Laboratory at UC Riverside. High school students who expressed gratitude mixed experience where they felt elevated, a positive emotion, and indebted immediately after writing their gratitude letters. And students also then felt motivated to improve themselves. So the, the find, remind, and bind theory, as it's called, suggests that expressing gratitude may prompt individuals to pay back the kindness that they've received. And it can also motivate a person to make better decisions that will strengthen their relationships. Gratitude may increase a person's desire to spend more time with somebody, and it encourages pro-social behaviors. So it, it also leads to better communication. It's better to practice this together. There's so much more. I'll put the links to those articles in the show notes, but at the end of the day, gratitude does have the science to back it up, and it doesn't just mean being grateful for things that don't necessarily matter to you. You, as the only version of you, will be grateful for things that truly matter to you, and that's, that's okay. And then it's going to help you show up and be more present, even in the face of adversity, aka those pesky relatives that come over during Thanksgiving with the only goal of putting someone down to make themselves feel better. So there's my challenge for you over this holiday weekend, this holiday break, that if you do find yourself getting triggered, if you do find yourself ready to the, looking at your visceral reaction of wanting to respond or react, then that is a time to bring yourself back to the present moment and then call upon these powers of gratitude. And in that moment, that very moment, now you can talk about the things that you are grateful for. But worst case scenario, I think you're going to have to leave the room because you have to go poop. Have an amazing Thanksgiving, and we'll see you next week on The Virtual Couch. Compressed emotions flying past, our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind, it's wonderful. Elastic waste and rubber ghost, I'm floating past the Aside the things that matter most is wonderful. I have to wonder which ghost is mine. 
explode, allow the understanding through, to heal the legs and hearts you move. 